Howdy, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we saw since the last time we did one of these shows. I'm David. I'm Tyler. And uh, let's just start. Yeah, all right. Um, we're finally getting uh, past the point of me, like from like catching up on the tw- all the 2015 movies. So I actually have. Uh, a couple at least, and then we'll get into more uh, newer stuff. But I have a couple of old movies that I was able. I was actually oh, able fun. to watch old movies. Isn't that nice? Um, now, this uh, I watched a movie that I realized I had never seen in full. It was something they showed us in film school, okay, but not in in full. Um, which I don't know why. It's only about sixty five minutes long. Colossus. Um, is that the one? No. Which one is that? Isn't Colossus, that's, that's, we saw clips of it when we saw Demon Seed. It's one of those like supercomputer movies. Okay, no. Um, I, I watched for the first time from beginning to end, Ziga Vertov's Man with a Movie Camera. Oh, yeah. Which I, I had never actually sat down and watched it from beginning to end before. I saw that, uh, oddly enough, I saw it in school, but not as a function of the film department. I saw it in a different class. Uh, that studied depict it that wasn't a function of the film department it was a function of the sociology department huh. but the the class was depictions of uh the urban environment in film so we watched that movie uh yeah that's week. a that that's one of the many things that it that yeah. it covers it covers yeah. sort of everything and it's sort of like it seems almost reductive to put it in those terms do you know the like the the meme like uh, based on the South Park episode, Simpsons did it. Yeah, you yeah. know that. Yeah. I feel like everything that happened in cinema for probably decades after Man with the Movie Camera, you could say Man with the Movie Camera did it. <laughs> well, yeah, it did. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, I mean, it's it's pretty impressive stuff, and um, uh, I feel like it's. I have to put it on the list of like the greatest movies ever made, just from an academic standpoint, but also from an artistic one. Well, I believe it didn't it crack the top 10 of uh, the sight and sound I, top 10 recently. Yeah, yeah, I think it I think it's definitely uh, I, th- I definitely think it's up there. Um if I remember correctly. Now, would uh, you venture to say that the film is I mean it certainly is non-narrative. Would you venture to say it's almost experimental? I mean, I guess we I have I I have wondered for years uh how to use that term, experimental. Because um, yeah. yeah, non-narrative seems more fitting if less sexy (laughs) a term um but here's whether it's not narrative or experimental here's one of the things that i came away from thinking about it is that most of my favorite um non-narrative type of films I, i guess experimental film when you say that it conjures up an idea and there definitely are these kind of movies that are just like, here's a shot of a puddle in the rain for 24 minutes, you know, <laughs> yeah, that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and actually I've seen plenty of those and I feel like it's not like I'm making fun of it, but some of those can be really, really, uh, effective. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, sound design often plays in, but some of my favorite non-narrative movies are the ones that are like, Hey, it's okay to be fun. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know what I mean. It's fun. Like a lot, of, a lot of David Lynch's work, both feature and short, you know, um, has uh, a real sort of sense of humor to it. And Man with a Movie Camera is it's playful, yeah. and it's a lot of fun. It plays with double exposure to make someone to make that a cameraman look like he's standing on top of a gigantic movie camera, yeah, uh, and, and stuff like that. There's a lot of fun, and then there's um, 
you know, childbirth and like stuff yeah. I didn't expect to see in there. Um, I mean, in a way, it's really impressive. I mostly remembered from film school the train stuff. Yeah, yeah. a lot of train stuff. Yeah. Uh, and some of that, the framing and camera placement is really impressive for 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 the for the time. Um, I already figured what year it is. Nineteen thirty, something like that. I think it was earlier than that. I thought it was the twentieth, uh, but I might be wrong about that. Um, you know, in a way, I, I feel like the film is experimental in the sense that I just felt like the director is just seeing what he can do, which is, the, right. which is what an experiment is. Um, so it's like, it's experimental almost by default because now we know what the camera can do yeah. and it's just, okay, I'm choosing to do something different and nonlinear and that sort of, and non-narrative. And then we label that experimental. Whereas this is literally like, okay, well, what are the limits of the camera? What are the limits of editing? Yeah. And just discovering this new thing. What year are we looking at? 29. Okay. I was one year off and you were right. Was, I was, was correct. Crazy. Yes. Thank you for that. All right. What's the first thing you watched this week? Uh, a very different type of film. <laughs> um, so listeners know that I am a fan of red letter media. They do the, uh, they, they've done these star Wars reviews and then they, they have uh, half in the bag where they review newer movies. They have, um, Oh, what is it called? Um, best of the worst where they, you know, talk about, uh, these crappy little almost MST three K type movies. Um, so I'm a big fan of theirs and I know that they are also, you know, filmmakers and, uh, but I know that anytime they make something that is feature length, it takes them a while to do it. And so there's this one called space cop that they've been working on for a long time. Um, and now what's it about? I mean, with a nebulous title like that, it is about a cop from the future, the future of space, as he goes on, as he always says when he's describing it. And uh, do you remember the news radio "What If" episode where uh, they were on a space station, and it starts with Phil Hartman saying, "What if instead of a news station, we were a space station? And what if instead of reporting the news, we reported the space news?" <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's I missed that show. Is that on DVD? Uh, I yeah. bet it is. Uh, yeah, it's also I think all on Hulu. I didn't think I, I don't think I knew that. That's something I will need to revisit because I enjoy that show tremendously. Um, so yeah, it is it is a comedy first and foremost, um, but it is also a, a genre parody of you know cop movies, buddy cop movies, uh, sci fi movies, that sort of thing. Um, and I know that you know. When we're when you're looking at very low budget filmmaking and this sort of thing, you you know you make not so much exceptions, but you just you'll take things into consideration mm-hmm. and you'll you'll forgive some things and that sort of thing. But I think what what bothers me is that, and this is a thing that I say about Christian film all the time. Anytime they say, "Well, you know, uh, we didn't have the budget," it's like. Uh, a good script costs as much as a bad script as it turns out. And I think that's the issue is so much of this feels like, um, feels like the kind of movies that, you know, we made when we were in middle school or high school and just having fun Mm -hmm. with our friends and that sort of thing. Nothing wrong with that. It definitely feels like that, but it doesn't feel developed and it certainly doesn't feel disciplined. Uh, it is for a comedy. It's surprisingly long. And, uh, and on top of that, it's just, you know, you and I are big fans of, of we, we like the idea that in a comedy, hey, whatever gets the laugh is fine, which I agree with. Um, 
laughs first. Yeah, I we've said that before, but I have also said that increasingly I don't agree with that. Well, it's 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 something that I mean. It doesn't apply to everything because then that's that that can be just utter chaos. You know, it was with something like airplane. It's fine. Um, you know, throw whatever, throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. But the thing even about airplane, even about airplane is that they recognize that they are they're being silly, but they are also doing a parody of a very specific genre. Mm-hmm. And what I think these guys fail to recognize is that genre parody is different than general comedy. And I don't think, and I, as a genre parody, I think they, they have their moments, but for the most part, I think it, it falls short. And it's just, it's one of those things that whether it be, uh, whether it be a a filmmaker who, who Hollywood has just given complete free reign to, or people who work completely independently and are accountable to nobody, either way, it can be a wonderful thing because they're, they're accountable only to themselves or it can be a bad thing because sometimes you need a producer or a studio executive. And as much as I hate studios, there's something to be said for, uh, Hey, this is too long. And Hey, you may need to shape this a little bit. Um, hmm. it's a little raw, but not in a good way. And so there are moments to space cop. I, I think it's shot really well. I think they use color really well. I think some of the performances are good, but for the most part, it's just a very undisciplined, uh, just kind of a misfire and that that's a shame considering how long they were working on it all right uh next up for me i watched a 1977 horror film that i'm i've come to realize has a bit of a cult following but i'm honestly surprised it's not a bigger cult movie okay because it's so odd in so many ways it's called the sentinel i don't know if you know i've heard of that um it's uh, a, a young woman who's a TV commercial actress um, moves into a new uh, uh, apartment, um, and it's it sort of plays like a. Uh, it's from 1977, and it sort of plays like a "Let's do Rosemary's Baby" twist okay. at first, but it goes different places. Where basically you come to realize that this apartment building sits on the gateway to hell. Oh, okay, and it's owned by the Catholic church and they have to have someone be a guardian or mm. a sentinel. Um, and these people are generally not, don't go into this line of work willingly because it yeah. involves sitting in a chair and looking at the window for the rest of your life. Mm. And so this woman really like is being groomed to be the new sentinel. That sounds really good. Um, it's really weird. Okay. In a good way? Mostly in a good way, yeah. But it's so, it's it's wacky at times in a way that this is what I'm saying. Like, it, I'm surprised it doesn't have a bigger cult following because it has, you know, a bunch of nudity and that sort of thing that I think tends to play well with that, you know, midnight movie type of audience. It has weirdness, like um there she attends a birthday party for a cat and yeah. it's and it's like a, it becomes a creepy scene, <laughs> but, uh, that, that sort of like idiosyncrasy seems like everything about the movie seems like it would lend itself well to, to cult classic status, especially the cast. Yeah. Okay. Let me read wow this me. cast. Here we go. Some of these people were bigger stars who were on their way down doing the cult movie. Some of these okay. people who were not, uh, who were the, you know, uh, in the midst of their fame. Some of these people were not stars yet and would go on to be famous. Okay. But you got, uh, I'm just going to go in the IMDb order. Here. Okay. Chris Sarandon. All right. Martin Balsam. Oh, John Carradine. Yeah. Jose Ferrer. 
Hey. Ava Gardner. All right. Burgess Meredith. <laughs> Eli Wallach. Of course. Christopher Walken. Okay. Jeremy Orbach. Jerry Orbach. Uh, Beverly D'Angelo. And then uh, Tom Berenger is like in the last, like all of a sudden, it's like clearly this was a bit part that he took. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I think that's Tom Berenger, like at the very end. Um, and then also, I missed it, but apparently. Um, there's uh oh i forgot jeff goldblum jeff goldblum was in oh good it. of course uh but apparently Richard- so there is a movie did you say christopher walken earlier yeah there is in fact a movie with jeff goldblum and christopher walken do they interact uh no that is unfortunate uh yeah um uh apparently i did i had to go back and watch this part but apparently richard dreyfus can be seen in the back on the in on, on the sidewalk in an early scene but this is like after Jaws, so I don't know if he's and like the same year as Close Encounters. Like yeah, he's not, so I don't know if this is like some sort of in joke where he's friends with somebody and okay. he's supposed to be on the sidewalk. It's like near the beginning, yeah. Um, from what I understand, but I missed it. I had to watch it again. But yeah, no, um, Jeff Goldblum and Christopher Walken don't get um, any any scenes together. But Eli Wallach and Christopher Walken make kind of a good. They're detective. They're detective. A detective duo, oh, and they're awesome. kind of a good comedy team. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Eli Wallach does most of the talking, but Chris Walken does a lot with a little. It's an odd movie. And I also, let me say this before I know we'll move on. Uh, I have found it in recent years. I've come to realize I'm a big fan of Chris Sarandon. Like it's not, I, I think I mostly for the longest time knew him from the princess bride. And that was kind of mostly what I thought of him as. Yeah. But, I think I know that. And then dog day afternoon and nightmare before Christmas. I think that might be it. Right. Well, you also know child's play. That's right. Yes. Um, yes. And um, I'm drawing a blank on another uh, horror movie that he was in, like around the same time. Oh, I did just see him in. Uh, oh, Fright Night, the original Fright yeah, Night. Yeah, I um, just I saw him yeah. in Bordello of Blood. He was in that. Uh, but he's he's a guy who uh, I, I feel like I, I make reference to the AVClub.com a lot. But it's that's because I read it a lot, so it's on my mind a lot. And there was a really interesting um, sort of editorial about um, Ethan Hawke recently. I don't know if you saw this. I did see that, yeah. And about how he's the perfect actor for all the sort of like B-movies he does because he never winks. He always commits to yeah. these B-movie premises. And I feel like Chris Randon was like the proto that. Do you know what I mean? Like in hmm. Child's Play and in Fright Night yeah, that's and in true. this, like he's not he's not hamming it up or he's not phoning it in and he's not winking. He's not trying to make excuses for the material. Like he's really on point and he can still, and he does, uh, he's just, just this past year had a small, but important part in I smile back the uh, Sarah Silverman, uh, serious drug addiction movie, Mm -hmm. uh, drama, um, where he played her estranged father that she goes to see after 20, 25 years or something. That's a great, uh, little scene there. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of Chris Sarandon. That's what I've come to realize. All right. And you've seen Dog Day Afternoon. Yes, I have seen Dog Day Afternoon. All right. What's next for you? Next for me is a rewatch. Jen and I were going to watch uh, a movie from our collection, and it was up to her to decide, and she decided on Iron Man 3. Uh, I don't know how she arrived there, but I'm glad she did because, you know, I'm not going to say anything that that I haven't said before, so I'm going to pivot to something else. Uh, we make a lot of a lot of hay out of what Marvel is doing and the way it it sands off the edges and the individuality of its filmmakers to try to have this homogenized quality to it, uh, certainly visually. Um, 
But I do think something that we have acknowledged in the past, but I think we've gotten away from because we get so locked into this idea of like, you know, Edgar Wright and what happened Mm -hmm. with him uh, that I think we forget that there is room for, there's not a lot, but there still is room for the individual filmmakers to come through. I mean, obviously when we saw Avengers, the first thing we thought was like, Oh, this is very much Joss Whedon. There's Mm -hmm. no question about it. Mm -hmm. And Iron Man three is very Shane black. You know, it's not, there's not a whole lot of swearing or anything like that, but, uh, there's experimentation with the genre. There's a uh, self-awareness, um, while still being committed to what's happening. I mean, I, I, given that the, that Shane Black and Robert Downey Jr. worked together very successfully in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, mm-hmm. I, I, it's not surprising that they would work together so well here. Um, but it's also stuff like... And this is this is where I'll talk about where I will overlap with things that I've said before. Uh, everything that happens with the character of the Mandarin, Marvel probably had a vested interest in just playing that character as straight as possible. Yes, reinterpreting him so that he's not you know this Fu Manchu thing, mm-hmm. which people might find offensive, I mean, and just just you know just changing the 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 look of him and and having kind of a oddly enough, uh, an ambiguous nationality. Um, and Ben Kingsley's doing really great work as like a straightforward character. Uh, Marvel, the Mandarin is Iron Man's enemy. Like that is mm-hmm. his arch nemesis. And for them to subvert and quite possibly anger their fan base. Um, I, I have no doubt that that came from Shane Black and good on Marvel and Kevin Feig or Feige, however you say it, uh, for saying like, you know what? I'm going to go along with this. Mm-hmm. I'm Shane Black. I have faith in you. Let's do it. And that is to because for a long time I talked about how excited I was that Shane Black did that. Um, but I think also it it must like it, nobody makes any none of these directors make any decisions uh, without consulting Marvel. And it is to Marvel's credit that they said, yeah, all right. Uh, this could piss people off, but you know what? It's a neat idea. Let's give it a shot. And it did piss people off, but it also, it was different and it was fun and it was new. And, uh, and that is to Marvel's credit. So when I look at stuff like that choice, when I look at, uh, the weird, uh, like the Captain America, the winter soldier, when you look at that as almost this, almost an espionage film before, uh, a superhero movie. Um, when I look at those, I, I get excited and I remember that, yes, they, they are doing, they might have a misstep here and there and they might be, it might just be such, such a big thing the the Marvel cinematic universe, uh, that part of me gets really cynical about it but I also have to remember that this is exciting. It hasn't been done before. And there is a certain degree of freedom from one movie to the next that yes, it will probably look the same as the others, but there's still tremendous freedom. I'm excited for the Dr. Strange movie because it's going to feel notably different. It's a different, they're going to make a different genre within the Marvel cinematic universe and then work it in. Uh, you know, same with Ant-Man, which why, while it did not work for me as a heist movie, that's what they were trying to do and good for them. And so, I don't know. It's uh, and rewatching Iron Man three reminded me of why this is why this can be exciting, and why any of these other any of these other studios that are trying to do 
a, a larger cinematic universe and they're trying to rush it and they're not, they don't have the patience. Uh, and I don't think they have the vision required. They certainly don't have the character of the vision. I'll tell you that. Um, <laughs> I don't think they have the vision required to do what Marvel has been doing, which played a long game. And I think it's paying off in spades. And so very little of that has to do specifically with Iron Man three, but you know, I'm not going to say anything new about it, but in watching it again, it did remind me again that I'm, that I should put my cynicism aside. And yes, it's not the cinematic universe isn't perfect, but it's doing a lot of good and it's, and they're not afraid to take risks. Um, real quick. Have you read a lot of Dr. Strange comics? No, very few. Neither have I, uh, I mostly know Dr. Strange as a recurring ancillary character in other Marvel comics. And I really like him. I, I want to read some Dr. Strange comics, strange comics because I like him as just being like the wise kind of, he has, I feel like in the Marvel comics, he always has this feeling of being like the erudite stoner almost <laughs> like, cause he's always in his dark yeah. brownstone, like, it's always very comfortable in there yeah. and people go and like consult him or whatever. Yeah. And it just, he, he feels like, uh, it just feels like a very comfortable character. And I'm really interested to, I need before the movie comes out to read some Dr. Strange comics and see what he's like when he's actually the hero of the story. I do know him in the same way that you do, which is, uh, a support, a key, but supporting character and yeah. other things I know about him. Prime. Like, I think I know him most, as a function of the part he played in the infinity war series. Um, and there is that there, there is an element of, is there something big happening and we need somebody to provide perspective? Well, better, better go talk to Dr. Strange. Like yeah. he just kind of sits or he doesn't sit around like he, he is an active character, but because he seems to be thinking on a different level, uh, as, as anybody else, uh, there's a certain degree of like, he, he doesn't, He's not a panicky character. Like you're, yeah. you're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, so yeah. yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited for, for the movie. There was a great like uh, storyline in X-Men, Uncanny X-Men a few years ago where magic, one of the X-Men was, she wanted to sharpen her magical skills. Mm-hmm. So she was taking lessons with Dr. Strange, but in the past, cause magic can travel oh, okay. uh, in, the, in the past. So she was going years back and just having regular meetings with Dr. Strange, Dr. Strange to, uh, test her magic and he was like you know very wise and but every once in a while would like show some curiosity about the future but Mm. know that he's not supposed to ask yeah it was a great little uh relationship they had by the way as a film fan how hard is it to not say strange love like it's very (laughs) difficult for me (laughs) yeah i guess you're right okay all right moving on to finally into some new stuff and this is new in the sense that it hasn't actually come out yet and is the it's the first of two back-to-back Tom Hiddleston uh, vehicles I'll okay. be discussing. But I uh, saw a screening of I Saw the Light, the movie where he plays Hank Williams. Oh, yeah. It was supposed to come out last fall and got pushed uh, to March okay. because I think they 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 did what maybe the producers of the Danish Girl should have done, except the Danish Girl ended up getting people yeah. like it. But it, they realized, like... I don't oh, actually know anybody that likes it. Yeah, I know. Anyway, um... The, it, it got nominations almost because people are like, well, they went to all this effort. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. But I, I saw the light as much as I want to like it because Hank Williams is interesting and, um, Tom Hiddleston's great. I love him and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, it's just a dud. 
the whole is it movie, just the standard thing. It's yeah, but it doesn't. It has no sense of forward momentum. Uh, it is uh, uh, when you've. I'm not sure exactly if you've named them this, but it's the guess what? He was a piece of shit kind of uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. biopic. Yeah, where it's like, God, let's can we get a little bit more of the insight into what made him so famous instead of him just being um horribly drunk and treating his wife uh and every other woman in his life like uh tissues all the time can we can that not be the only thing we know get to know about him yeah um and that sometimes he wore uh cool suits with like uh (laughs) musical notes embroidered on like some great costumes uh his voice is great there's a there's a nice look to the movie but it has it's just inert and um there's no motivation to care about Hank Williams. It gives me so much more respect for Walk the Line, which is still it which is very conventional, but and admittedly that one at least has a relationship that develops and that provide some forward momentum but even in that it could be like ah, oh, june she's so patient look at this fucking asshole over here uh-huh. but it at least acknowledges that he is very charming and can be yeah. uh very charismatic and as opposed to you know something like this or to me it's a movie that nobody saw uh it's called gangs uh, gainsburg a heroic life it's about serge gainsburg yeah and I don't, when they say a heroic life, I feel like they're saying like, yeah, fuck yourself (laughs) because I I feel like it's ironic. Uh, you get a little bit of his music and it sounds great, but the whole thing is just, this guy's an asshole and no, no music will ever redeem him. Yeah. And it just, yeah, that sucks. I saw the light opens with its best sequence, uh, which is not connected to anything else narratively. It's you've probably seen it's in the stills of him sort of leaning on a stool with a bright mm-hmm. light shining down on him. So he's in silhouette yeah. and there's an audience around him and he just sings one of his songs a cappella, while the camera moves around him in circles very slowly. And it's all in one take and it's awesome. And then the movie starts and you never get that sense of magic again. I feel mm. like if you're going to do this movie like this, then when he does perform, when he does break into song, yeah. it should be almost like a, like a musical number in like a musical. It should be something magical. So you can get, so you can get a sense of why this guy was important. That is what, that is one of the reasons to go back to it. Why I love walk the line so much is that James Mangold, who a couple of years later would go on to make, you know, three ten to Yuma. And that, you know, that, action Western has just as much vibrance as the concert scenes Mm. in walk the line where just you get swept up and it's like, this is really exciting. I like this a lot. That's how it should feel in those moments. We need to fall in love with, Oh, right now I get it. It doesn't excuse the person that it is that, that we know him to be, but now, but I get why I'm watching a movie about this guy. Um, yeah, uh, I feel like when a movie's not good, I, just, I start to notice other things I wouldn't normally notice. Okay. And so now I'm going to do for you my Bradley Whitford impression. Oh, okay. All right, here it goes. <laughs> <laughs> just that? He's constantly doing sharp intakes of breath before, before a line of dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my Bradley Whitford, my new Bradley Whitford impression. Is I'm trying to think. Now, I saw him... In a live performance uh-huh. of art, 
um, in, in Pasadena. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I could see it. And that's the, like, of course he does that in everything, but yeah, then this, then the dialogue that comes after is yeah. something interesting and you forget yeah. the, the big, yeah. uh, you know, I, I like, I like doing those like micro impressions. Oh yeah. I do my, this is, I don't do a lot of impressions. Okay. This is Harry Potter discovering a clue. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I did it right. It's well, no, that's no, that's Hang right. On. And then that allows me to, yeah, do I, my, think I, gotta, I think I got it. I got the accent better the second time. The, Hang on. Hang on. I can't do the word on right. I know Hang on. British people. I know I'm not doing it right. Don't um, yell at me. And that allows me to do my micro Hermione impression. That's nothing there, Harry. <laughs> it's been five years, Hermione. <laughs> it's the world of magic and it's Harry Potter. <laughs> he, the, whatever he is seeing is probably there and you're the problem. <laughs> I hate that. Yeah. Anyway. What's next for you? It's not her fault. It's just the... <laughs> But although I do think that Emma Watson in that part uh, played it in such a way that really underlines everything she's saying. Um, okay, so uh, Jen and I rewatched, or well, it was her first time seeing it, but I rewatched uh, Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Um, you've seen it just the once, right? Yep. Okay. Uh, yeah. Up until up until recently, I was one of the only other people I knew. Who have only seen, who have it, only seen it once, yeah. like some kind of, uh, like some kind of third world country or something. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, uh, still good. Obviously. Um, I know people that have seen it multiple times and I know people that say they like it more the second time. I did not, I didn't like it necessarily less, but there are sequences, there are some sequences that are more exciting than others. Uh, and then there are some that are just meant to get you to the next one. And that's something that when you watch it the first time, you're into literally everything is fun. Everything Mm -hmm. you're anticipating the next thing, no matter what it is. But once you've seen it and you know what's coming, you know what to expect. Uh, you realize like, okay, it's not that there's filler, so to speak, but not all of this is as exciting as it could be. But, um, and that's okay. But, uh, but it also allowed me to notice individual elements before. Um, I think my favorite thing about the whole film is Kylo Ren. Everything Kylo Ren, I think is amazing. Hmm. Um, the performance, the way he's written, the, just the, the nature of the character I think is so fully formed and so unlike what we've seen in star Wars before. I absolutely love it. But, uh, now that, now that we know what's going to happen, you know, where the character of Ray played by Daisy Ridley, where she ends up, it, it sort of allowed me and I don't know, kind of required that I pay more attention to her in the early scenes, knowing where she's going to end up. And she's super charming. I, I did the first time, the first time along, I didn't remember her being I, I thought of her as stoic. She's not. There's like a playful quality to her that I don't think I noticed the first time. No, I think I definitely re- responded to that. Yeah. Uh, the first time. I, I think she was probably my favorite character in the in the thing. Because the thing is, she, she gets paired with John Boyega, who is an overtly comic character and uh-huh. is and is often more inept, which makes her stronger. And then I think I just started thinking of her as strong. And right. she is strong, but she is still she's still young and she still gets excited about things. And I really, I liked her a lot. And then I still like John Boyega. I think he does really great work. Yeah. Those two are great. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, 
the end of it, like one of the, I realize that one of the reasons I'm excited for the next film is that they have done, they did such a great job creating the next generation of star Wars characters. You know, when we look back on those prequels, you know, uh, characters that we know that already exist, we're seeing the younger version of them. We don't even care about them. You know, I don't care about Qui-Gon Jinn. I don't care about, uh, Anakin. I don't care about, um, Obi-Wan Kenobi as much as I like Ewan McGregor. Um, yeah, I, I think Obi-Wan is the best character in the prequels. And that's yes. probably mostly due to Ewan McGregor. I think so. And, um, but yeah, that's, that's one where it's like, I just don't care about any of these, any of these characters. Whereas this, these are all new characters and I like all of them. Um, I don't know if rumors count as spoilers. So, okay. Guys, Cause I know people are very spoiler phobic when it comes to the star Wars thing. So tune out for 15, 20 seconds. They've all seen um, it at least three no, times. I'm talking about rumors for the future. Oh, for the future. Okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. So tune out. Um, the rumor is that Ewan McGregor is going to be in the next one. The, well, his the, voice was in this one, but it was, was it new dialogue or I, was it, I think it was just, I thought it was just dialogue from the prequel. I believe it is new dialogue. Oh, okay. I think I, I had heard that he came in for like two half sentences okay. and, uh, but, but that, that might not be true. Um, I'm intrigued to see what would, in what capacity he would be back. Like, would he be the, the blue ghost and stuff? Yeah, I think that, that's what I'm thinking as, as Ray learns more about the force, he perhaps would appear to her the way that uh, other like past force havers have appeared, have appeared to new force havers. Uh, that, All that's, due respect that's to you and McGregor, just a uh, part of me is just like, yeah, but wouldn't it, wouldn't it be Alec Guinness? But maybe not. I don't know. Not well, I, well, he's to, dead. To her. So we can't do it. I guess so. Yeah. I don't think it would matter to her. Right. I guess not. But at the same time, when he's all, when we've seen that Obi-Wan already has appeared as, older Obi-Wan or maybe it's just well this is how Luke Skywalker knew him so he'll appear to him this yeah. way but she never knew Obi-Wan Kenobi so uh, he's gonna appear as, as good looking as yeah, possible exactly exactly <laughs> alright um, let's move on it's it's, it's him in uh, Down With Love yeah. <laughs> let's move on to my second back to back Tom Hiddleston feature okay. I finally the day that it was available on Amazon to rent I watched Guillermo del Tormo's Crimson Peak, which I just purchased on Blu-ray, uh, and I—I'll uh, tell you what—I I watched it and I enjoyed it, but I was like, "That was uh, that was good." I don't know if it was great, and then I found myself over the past forty-eight hours not being able to stop thinking about it in a yeah. lot of ways. Um, I still think it has its problems, especially in everything before they get to England. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, and not everything. There's some really good atmospheric stuff. Uh, or there's some good atmospheric stuff, but I do feel like it's the, the, the pre actually getting to Crimson Peak stuff is both. It's like in this weird limbo where it both takes too long, but also feels rushed. Like it feels like a lot of things have to happen to get them there. And so plot wise, like with the Jim Beaver stuff, as much as I like Jim Beaver, it does feel like it's like rushing through plot points. Yeah. But at the same time, it also feels like it's still taking us too long to get to where we know the movie is going. No. Do you know what I mean? Did did I tell you that Jim Beaver was in the theater when I saw it? (laughs) No. Yeah. It was a Friday night at the, at the NoHo seven. Jason and I went to see it and the theater was semi full. It was like a 7 PM show. So it's like, okay, well this probably does not bode well for the film. Uh, but he was in the, in it with like, uh, I think, uh, his daughter or something like that just sitting there and it's like, Hey, there's Jim Beaver. Interesting. 
I didn't know he was in the movie. Uh-huh. And then when I see him, I'm like, oh. And then as no, we left. See, that doesn't answer any questions. To me, that's even weirder. Yeah, she's like, did he not see... get an invitation? Yeah, did the they premiere? do a cast and crew? Or... And then what's interesting is after the movie was uh, was over, um, you know, we were all in the... In... standing on the lobby signing autographs, <laughs> answering questions? Nobody... Nobody talked to him. And then Jason and I just went up and just said, Hey, well done. He goes, Oh, thank you so much. I was just like, poor, poor Jim Beaver, you know, <laughs> poor lonely Jim Beaver doesn't get invited to premieres. Nobody recognizes him. Nobody goes to see his movies. Yeah. But I thought he did a great job. Uh, Sorry. Anyway, go on. Uh, so the movie itself. Yes. But yeah, I, I, once, once it gets to where it needs to go, um, it's, it's so it's so rich and overstuffed in the best way. Like yeah. you have an overstuffed chair is like a yeah, well, it's yeah. like a thing, right? Yeah. An overstuffed chair. Um and uh there's so much it's the kind of movie that I like you said you you just bought it. I can totally see myself buying it because it's the kind of movie I could see myself revisiting. Yeah. Um because it's such an all encompassing uh world. Um and uh as far as the issue that a lot of people talked about, not on the fence about, uh, whether or not it's actually a scary movie, there's stuff in it that I think is really scary, especially yes. the flashback at the beginning to for the first time, young Mia Vazhikovsky's character, the first time she sees a ghost when her yeah. mother comes back to her, like the day of her funeral yeah. is terrifying. Yeah. That is some super scary stuff. Um, it, I don't think it ever quite reaches that those heights again. Um, but I still think there are, there are scares. And I also kind of think it's, it's the kind of movie that's, it's, that's not really the point, I guess. It's not like you were talking about comedy uh, with, with space cop. And it's not like Crimson Peak is not unscary because it has scares that doesn't work. Yeah. It doesn't need scares for a lot of the, a lot of the time. Yeah. And it even tell, I mean, the very, very, um, winkingly, but dramatically tells you from the beginning that it, this is not a ghost story. It's a story with ghosts in it because that's what she says about the novel she's writing. And, uh, you know, unless you've like never seen a movie before that you're probably going to realize, Oh, that's what this movie is going to be. Um, uh, what, what did you, I like the idea that someone hears that and they're just like, yeah, but this is a ghost story, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's like, that's ironic that she's writing this thing, but she's in a ghost story. Yeah. Um, (laughs) yeah. Uh, I mean, so much of it is, is it's, I believe the thing that I tweeted was, Crimson Peak is not the movie that's advertised and I prefer this, uh-huh. you know, um, I went in expecting one thing and it wound up being something that's so much more me. Um, you know, obviously it is, it is a reference to hammer films. The very fact that her last name is Cushing should mm-hmm. tell you that. Um, oh, and everything else about the film. Yeah. Uh, but, and, and it's, it's scary in the way those movies are scary. It's scary in the way that the old universal horror movies are scary in that it's all atmosphere. It's all just, it's like, yeah, I don't, I'm not afraid, but I, I'm engaged. And I like the, it's interesting. Horror became scary. Horror doesn't necessarily have to mean scary. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. When you think about it, like there's something that's horrific. The story of Crimson Peak is indeed quite horrific. Yeah. The imagery is very horrific. You know, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. I can't think of anybody that that would ever be frightened by it, but we are, we are witnessing a corpse walking around. (laughs) That is horrific. You know, um, that's a good, that's a great point. I like that. And so I feel like that's, it gets back to that definition of horror as opposed to what we say it is now. 
Yeah. Um, but I do wonder, um, just like you were saying, that it's your kind of movie. I can very much see this not being someone's kind of oh, movie. Oh, no question. Because yeah. the, uh, you know, the, um, who's the guy from, why am I drawing a blank on the guy from Pacific Rim and Sons of Anarchy? Charlie Hunnam. Charlie Hunnam. Yeah. Um, I always want to say Garrett Hedlund. Who was Garrett Hedlund? Different guy. He well, was in Inside Lewin Davis. He was in Four Brothers. Oh, okay. Okay. Who was in Cold Mountain? That's Charlie Hunnam. That's Charlie Hunnam. Yeah. Okay. As the albi- uh, albino character. Is that right? I believe I so. I remember that. Um, okay. Like Charlie Hunnam's character, uh, again, this is like I was saying earlier about me maybe not fully embracing it at first. I was like, oh, this character is a big zero. Like he's a big nothing. Yeah. And as I think about it in context of the whole, what the whole movie is, it's like, oh yeah, he's the blandest hero possible. Yeah. He's sort of the opposite of what you're talking about. He's the one who's not in any way horrific. Like everything about yeah. him, uh, is, is, is good and right, but not necessarily interesting and compelling. And that's why he's not really one of the main characters. Well, and, and when you think about it, it goes back to that idea of Bram Stoker's Dracula, where Francis Ford Coppola said that he wanted Keanu Reeves to play Jonathan Harker because he wanted you to not root for that. He wanted you to root for Dracula, uh-huh. uh, in that love triangle there's the the one we're supposed to be rooting for, and then there's the one that's way more interesting. And Tom Hiddleston is way more interesting than Charlie Hunnam, and so we just yeah. I just find myself rooting for that, even though I know that bad things are are on the way. Do you know? Um, apparently, I, I, I shouldn't do. That. I always read IMDb trivia pages after I see a movie, but it's I fun. but I also know those are like not you know that's not a dictionary like, yeah that's not no. an encyclopedia like no it's not vetted uh <laughs> so i don't know if this is true but i guess instead of tom hiddleston and mia vashikowski it was going to be benedict cumberbatch and emma stone and i feel like uh, you dodged a bullet <laughs> like as much as i like both of them i feel like tom hiddleston and mia vashikowska are the right people for this movie i do i i agree um at, at the very least because i just even though he was loki and she was alice there's just something a little bit more pale. Yeah. Well, he was <laughs> and, also in only only lovers left alive. And yeah. she was in Stoker. Like yeah. I can, and she was in Jane Eyre. Right. Yeah. 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 There's uh, yeah. This sort of, this sort of tone, yeah. I guess. And for all I know, they'd both Benedict Cumberbatch and Emma Stone would have been great at it, but yeah, but I think the tone would have been different or well, that's what I'm saying. For all I know, Maybe they would have been great at this tone, and we yeah. just haven't seen them do that. Yeah, um, but but that's. I mean, I guess if if uh, Benedict Cumberbatch were playing the character like he was Smaug, that would be interesting. Sure, absolutely, yes. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, but at the same time, I think that speaks to the the quality of the acting that you don't want that when you hear that two other great actors that have a really striking screen presence could have played these characters. Your first thought is, well, that's. I mean, look at who is right. We've got these two and they do such a great job. I can't, I don't want to imagine anybody else. And then there's Jessica Chastain who I think does wonderful work and is able to inflict more violence with a spoon, uh, than other horror monsters do with a chainsaw. Like, you know what I mean? Like when she's, when she's feeding Mia Vashikowska and the way she wipes the spoon and just scrapes it along the bowl. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Love it. Love <laughs> All right, it. What's next for you? Next for me is Craig Zobel's Z for Zachariah. Oh, good. I saw this. Oh, okay. I, I reviewed it for um, battleshipretention.com. 
I've heard of that site. It's a good one. It's all right. Um, it's no slash film or a nerdist. Oh, come on. It's no geek tyrant. <laughs> Does that still exist? Yeah. I, oh, okay. I ran into uh, Joey at, uh, okay. at Sundance. Um, yeah, I, I really liked it. I, I, I'll be honest. I wanted to like it a little bit more, but it's, I don't know. It's, 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 it does what, okay. It's not a zombie movie. It's an apocalypse movie. Mm-hmm. Um, we see a lot of the, of both. Uh, and it takes, it takes a lot for me to, um, to embrace the concept of an apocalypse movie because it's like, all right, well, what are you going to do that hasn't been done? Okay. And Z for Zechariah, it doesn't, it doesn't break any, any crazy new ground, but, um, but it reminds me of, um, never let me go. Did you see that? that Okay. Which is a sci-fi premise, not handled in a sci-fi way. It's handled in a very humanistic way, right? In a very relational way, and I think that's what, and that's definitely what Z for Zachariah is. Yeah, Z for Zachariah. This this storyline could be a western, and oh, no apocalypse, apocalypse yeah. movie. Yeah, and so um, you know, it's very very stark, very minimalist. Um, performances are great. Margot Robbie, I thought, was marvelous in it. Mm-hmm. And just playing a character of strength, but naivete, but her naivete is probably uh, a choice she is making so that she doesn't have to deal with the harsh realities of the world that she lives in now. Um, but at no point do it, does she seem stupid? Like she is definitely the lead and there, and the two men are supporting. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very interesting. Uh, she would tell as you for plays a character, you know, it's interesting. Cause I think my first introduction to him was serenity. Right. Um, I know I first saw him in uh, dirty, pretty thing. That's right. Um, which I think I saw later. Okay. So I think for me, my first introduction was him as a villain. Yeah. Um, but since then I think of him as not merely a hero, but a very heroic type, a guy who just, who just oozes decency. Um, and in Z for Zachariah, he still has that. He still is, um, the guy who, who means well and a guy who, who is very capable. Mm -hmm. Uh, but you also see that there, you know, there, there's a scene where he gets drunk and becomes a little bit hostile. And, uh, and it's what I like is moments like that is when you see that, yes, even in, even in people that are probably that are by and that are by and large, good people, the stress of the situation will still get to them. Um, that's not a thing that will ever just go away. Even if, the circumstances they're in right now are as, as perfect, as ideal as you can get. Um, and then I, I also thought Chris Pine did a great job of playing a guy who needs to be suspicious and also blameless at the same time. Yeah. So that he could go one way or another in any given scene. Um, there's an episode we should do someday with maybe another, uh, critic. Um, okay. In reading reviews of Z for Zachariah after I had already, watched it and written my review mm-hmm. um i found this as an example of me personally okay I, I think there are i know there are a lot of uh, critics who think that when a movie comes out that is um based on a book or a remake of something or whatever mm-hmm. being familiar with the original is going to help you and i think that's a perfectly good point of point of view but i happen to disagree with it i think not knowing yeah the, i actually the, don't think it's a good point yeah of view. i think not knowing the source 
um, allows you to view things on your own. That's why I wanted you. I remember a couple of years back, I really wanted you to review old boy. Cause you're like the only person I've seen <laughs> yeah. to, to review Spike Lee's old boy. Cause you're like the only person I know who hasn't seen yeah. the original. Um, uh, anyway. but the reason I didn't want to see the new one is cause I didn't want to like spoil the original. Right. Yeah. That's for true. Me. Um, uh, and I felt like most of the, a lot of the negative reviews, uh, for Z for Zachariah, I think were about people who didn't like the changes made to the book, which looking it up, it's pretty huge. There's oh, really? a huge, I don't think Chris Pine's character is in the book. It's oh, wow. the, whole, the entire book from what I understand is just a, a two hander as it were. Hmm. Um, and I, I, I really want to have this conversation someday with someone. We should find someone who feels the other way. Someone who does try to do that sort of, uh, research and have, uh, her or him on, um, and, and debate that. Uh, because I, I think that Z for Zachariah is a, uh, based on what I've read in other reviews, it's a better movie if you don't know what it's based on. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I agree completely. And, and if we were to have somebody on to, to have that debate, I might actually get somewhat passionate. Uh, now don't get me wrong. I'm passionate about everything I say, obviously, but I could see myself getting really wrapped up in this idea of just like, well, a movie should always be able to stand on its own or not even should, but like it should be, let's say it should be allowed to stand on its own. If it's a remake of something, right? Like I don't think a movie should be, should require knowledge of that, which is immediately going to make you judge it against that. Like, right. You know, it's there. That's, I mean, we've got, we, we have the, you know, the Harry Potter books sitting on our shelf, my wife has read them several times. Uh, from what I hear, they're very, they're very easy and quick reads. Uh, but I specifically did not want to open a single one until all the Harry yeah. Potter movies come out because everybody I know said like, oh, the stuff they left out. I was like, I don't know, worked pretty well for me. Yeah. Uh, and I like having that freedom. Yeah. Um, well, let me ask you this. Okay. And this will also be fodder for our, when we do our episode of this today. Okay, you say a movie. I, I agree with you that a movie uh, should stand alone from its source material or, mm-hmm. or, or, or whatever. But are, do you also, are you also one of the people who feels that, um, say, for instance, The Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 2 mm-hmm. or Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1 yeah. should work on its own? Because I don't think that. No, I don't think it's, so. it's in the damn title. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> okay. fine. No, yeah, it's, I, and I, even then, like. Yeah, that doesn't bother me when they. Oh, a sequel. I, that doesn't have to stand on its own. Like right, okay. remakes, uh, something based on source material. And I do want to say, when I said that a movie should be able to stand on its own and not rely on its source material, if, if a film wants to be self-referential and, and pay homage to its source material, that's fine. I'm not saying that a filmmaker shouldn't do that. What I, I want to specify that we should not require that. Right. Okay. Uh, as we watch it. Yeah. Uh, but I also want to say in terms of the hunger games, Mockingjay part two, that doesn't mean that a movie can borrow quality from its predecessors. Cause Mockingjay part two is still, um, a hugely disappointing movie to me. I'm I, the I, only person I know that, that even mildly liked it. Yeah. It was a real bummer for me. Hmm. It was not, it was not the movie it being part of, uh, you know, standing alongside other things is made it even worse to me because to me, it was not the movie that the three previous movies were leading toward. But you know what? Like Harry Potter 7.2 was for me deeply disappointing, but I wonder if in both cases, I wonder if you were to spend an evening watching 
parts one and two, one right after another. Right. And in Hunger Games, I mean, it starts immediately after the first one yeah. uh, ends. And if you put them together as one movie, would it work better? With Harry Potter, I feel like it might. I feel yeah. like that's something I should try. All right. Okay, moving on. Um, is it my turn? Yeah. Okay, this will be quick. I saw this my, my new release for this week. Okay. I saw How to Be Single. Cool. Um, the new uh, romantic comedy. And let's see, you have that reaction. Now, why do you have that reaction? Uh, because it just, you know, I recognize that a film is not its marketing. Okay. No, uh, I, I but, but it's the, the, the way it is marketed. Yeah. Is it a romantic comedy? Because it seemed to me like just like, like a, a girl's, like a friend picture. Um, it's, it's both, I guess. It's, okay. it's more of an ensemble than the movie is making it seem. Or I guess you just described it as an ensemble. Um, because here's the thing, your reaction uh, is right for the movie. It's okay. Um, hu- it's it's largely hugely not good. Okay. Um, but I did go in excited or 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 optimistic, um, despite the the marketing. And it's a movie that when it uh, and again I've I don't know why I say again all the time. Uh, I've read reviews. A lot of people seem to feel the same way as I do. When it's all said and done, the conclusions the movie comes to are, for the most part, something I can stand behind. Sure. It's just the way that it gets there, the way that it, the way that it gets to this idea of being okay with yourself and being okay with being single is by setting up and knocking down a bunch of straw men based on old cliches and stereotypes okay. from older romantic comedies or just shitty, like... Um, pandering female self-help books and like it's it's so much of it felt so uh insulting to my intelligence and um i would presume insulting to the intelligence of uh a lot of the women toward whom it's most aimed uh that i i just i just couldn't get behind by the time it got to where it 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 was going i couldn't stand with it like i would have if if you just said I'm a movie and I stand for this. I'd be like, that's what I stand for. So I'm all for it. Yeah. But after an hour and 45 minutes, that feels like three hours. Um, I, I couldn't get behind this movie. Um, it has stuff like this kind of, this is kind of stuff that I hate in movies because it's so false. And it's, and it's the kind of stuff like, uh, Kevin Smith movies did or how I met your mother would sometimes do it and do it well because they had this sort of, uh, um, postmodernist bent to it. But it's like, here's the rules of how dating works. And there's a whole scene of someone like explaining like, here's what I do to stay like the happy single guy. And then it has all this, like yeah. it's, it's way like high concept weirdly for something that's supposed to be a, uh, somewhat realistic depiction of New York, uh, young single life. Yeah. Uh, it's that stuff is so forced um, and never funny. And speaking of never funny, I know nationwide I am in the minority on this, but I have yet to see the movie where I find Rebel Wilson funny. Uh, I saw. Okay, so as you know, I think my least favorite movie, I believe it was 2012, was Struck by Lightning. Okay, that movie is complete horseshit. But I do remember her in it. And she is not bad. She's an interesting, she's an odd comic premise, uh, uh, presence. Um, you say odd, I see amateurish, not as a, I don't mean she's amateurish as a comedian, because mm-hmm. I do think, um, as an 
you know, on if she were uh, we're watching her as an on an improv in an improv show as a part of a troupe, mm-hmm. um, she gets a lot of laughs. She she's she's quick in sure. that sense, but what she's not. You were talking uh, before about the idea of uh, a laugh at any cost. Yeah, and she will repeatedly in every movie I see her in, she will go for a laugh at the, the at the peril of the the. Uh, realism of the scene or of the character herself. Yeah. She's constantly saying, uh, you know, for example, um, in how to be single, there's a thing where, um, Leslie Mann's character has decided to, um, she's, she's single, but she has decided to be a mother. She's mm-hmm. being, uh, fertilized. She wants to be a single mother and raise a baby on her own. And so when you get to the scene where she finally, after, uh, you know, repeated, uh, attempts, finally, realizes she's pregnant, right? Mm-hmm. And she and Dakota Johnson are celebrating and Wilson's like, oh, it's okay. We'll take care of it. And then she's like, oh, wait, that's what you wanted? But it's like, you've been a part of this story the whole yeah. time. You know what she's what she wants. Yeah. Like, you just, like, I feel like Rebel Wilson just improvised that in the moment for the joke, but it doesn't make any sense. And, and you know, a part of the blame goes to the director for leaving that in. Uh, yes. Okay. Here's the deal. I feel guilty for what I'm about to say, um, because I don't like to compare these. Okay. All right. Let's compare Rebel Wilson. Uh-huh to melissa mccarthy now i feel bad saying that because obviously they're both uh of a certain body type right Um, both improv heavy improv heavy and then um and then often now melissa mccarthy is now a lead but both of them you know for a long time like solid dependable or well maybe not so dependable but they were the the funny supporting character well melissa mccarthy i think approached uh, approached those parts as an actress and so when we look at just the weird combination of the the weird traits of her character in bridesmaids well everything everything about her seems like just a joke just one more thing to laugh at about her and yet somehow she finds a way to make it all work and make it all hang together whereas what you're talking about is she made a joke that basically says, yeah, there's nothing, nothing happened between these scenes. These characters didn't live between scenes. That's right. not, that's how a comedian thinks. Right. It's not how an actress thinks. Right. And, and I that's think that's good, the problem. That's a good point. Um, you said, I, I didn't think of Melissa McCarthy, uh, cause I have, I was making the same, uh, observation to someone that I, uh, saw it with. Um, I didn't think of Melissa McCarthy mostly because I knew her as an actress for before a comedian yeah. as a Gilmore Girls fan. I heard, yeah. um, who I thought of was uh, um, Rebel Wilson's other bridesmaids co-star, Kristen Wiig, mm-hmm. whom we knew as a sketch comedy person, and has turned out to Molly Shannon's the same way, and mm-hmm. has turned out to be. Um, and I, you know, we're there's no reason for us to just stick to uh, to women here. You know, yeah. Zach Galifianakis, Will sure. Ferrell, Steve Zach Martin. Zach Galifianakis is a, that's actually, that works really well. These are all people who have gone on to do things that are, to be great in roles that are not, that require more of them than just uh, yeah. being joke machines. And if you look at their more jokey work, you see the roots of that because mm-hmm. you, you see them committing to, the character as opposed to just firing off as many jokes as possible. And I don't, I can't ever see Rebel Wilson, uh, getting, you know, I I can't see her being Jonah Hill, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's true. I think she, she'll go for the punchline and I don't think there's, I think that's not a bad instinct, 
but I feel like at the same time, when a punchline comes from a character instead of maybe a situation or a, a, a joke that a stand-up says, when a laugh comes from a character, I feel like it needs to be a little bit more earned. Um, yeah. And it needs to be based in something. Um, one more thing about How to Be Single. You will, you, I don't think you'll see it. but uh, It's not high on the list. You will hate it um, because it does something we talked about, I think just last, no, two weeks ago maybe. Uh, there's a whole... There's a whole runner of or a whole scene where Rebel Wilson is saying, you look like or that looks like Ugh. she's talking about Dakota Johnson's uh, vagina not being uh, hairless. And so she, she does a bunch of it looks like blank and something something with a lot of hair. Um, anyway, there's a whole bunch of them in a row. And I, and I can't, you know, I, I think I had subconsciously noticed that that was a thing before. But now you pointing it out. Um, you see it everywhere. Yeah. Just like, well, I just said something was a thing, which is uh, also way tired. Yeah. You know what else needs to, uh, we should just do, because you and I are clearly bothered by the same things, yeah. that repetition. We should just keep a running list of things that can be retired. Because you know what else? You know what the phrase has, like, we've gotten everything out of it at this point. What's that? The phrase garbage person. As like sure. a as like a punchline or a, a, uh, hot garbage a is another one. Uh, Using well, the hot word garbage, gar- I feel like is more well established. I guess what I mean is, uh, it's what's interesting. The word garbage instead of trash. The word yeah, yeah, murder yeah. instead of kill. Yeah. Um, it's God, now there's you not, and I are so alike. Yeah, in this. It's not a bad instinct, but now that's it's the it's the norm, and it's right, not it's inherently people, yeah. funny. Yeah, yeah. It used to be that someone would pick a a different word like murder or garbage instead of killer trash yeah. because it was unexpected. Yeah. But now it's so expected yeah. that, um, it's, it's unfunny and it also feels desperate and, uh, contrived, I guess. Yeah. You could, you could see the strings when someone is going, we for absolutely, a joke with the, we absolutely need to do this episode cause, uh, the, cause it's exciting to me. I have seen an, uh, an it requires, it just like, it should be a, uh, a blog post that we occasionally bump back up every like <laughs> every two weeks or something we add to it and bump it back up to the front of the here's uh, more phrases that uh, need to be retired. Wow. Um, and I'm guilty of some of them. Like I've said more things, phrases that don't, that shouldn't be a thing. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've said a thing like two or three times just in this episode. All right. We're going way too long for having so few movies. I this know. Week. Uh, All right. What's next? For is, you? is this my last movie? Yeah. Okay. Uh, David, Holy shit. Okay. Bone Tomahawk. Oh. Did okay. you see it? No. I heard it's mm. gross. It is. Man oh man, David. I can't I I, I can't even. See, there's one. Oh yeah. Um Yep. I so I watched it right before you got here. So it is <laughs> it's right it's right here in my brain. And I might be talking about it next week, by the way. It's entirely possible. Okay. Um Okay. I had heard about it as just almost this pulpy, goofy, not goofy, but just just a heightened kind of movie. Um, it has an odd title. It, it has Kurt Russell. And of course, with the same facial hair as he has in another Western, yeah. this, where it's everything's more heightened and, and kind of uh, fun and that sort of thing. So I was expecting a very specific type of movie. It is not that, and yet it also is. It is a horror Western, or a Western horror, whatever you want to say. Mm-hmm. It is The Descent and The Searchers. Okay. It is very hard to explain. 
the tone well, is it i mean when, it when is, you say horror western i think of ravenous is it like ravenous it's not unlike ravenous but ravenous is even more heightened okay this is like it's like appaloosa okay but so it's, with, not, it's not funny like ravenous is that what you're saying it is not funny like ravenous though there are there is there is a character that is sort of a, a comic relief, which okay. is uh, Richard Jenkins, who oh. um, has gotten a great, uh, a fair amount of uh, recognition and was actually nominated for an Indie Spirit Award oh, cool. for supporting actor. Um, and his character is very funny. People have said that he's basically the Walter Brennan character, and now that actually means something to me. And uh, they're correct; they're absolutely <laughs> correct. Um, and it's just, and on top of everything else, it also. So I, I read blood meridian and i saw no country for old men and i saw the road so i have a general idea of what cormac mccarthy is and it feels like like that it feels like especially in its use of gore in the midst of long stretches of stark um it's in a way it's it's not this but it's almost like valhalla rising where it's like meditative at times very straightforward at times and then horrendously gory and violent and horrible and then scary and 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 just this feeling of watching it's you know okay cowboys versus aliens all right everything about that is th- these cowboys are not going to do well like they're they're walking into they're walking <laughs> into a situation that they are in no way prepared for and that is how we feel about the the situation in bone tomahawk it is and yet it has all it has all of these different elements tied together this this speaks to the power of tone if you can if you can if you have a handle and this is the guy's first film as a director really? he's written other things okay. but this is his first film as a director if you can get a handle on tone i feel like maybe not half the battle but a good portion of the battle has been won at that point you can yeah. you can you can sell characters, you can sell an outrageous plot, you can sell almost anything if you have a command of tone. And that is among other th- and also the performances are wonderful. So much about Bone Bone Tomahawk is perfect. All right. Now boy, I, oh I got to see this movie. Boy oh boy. Um let's real quick do a couple TV shows. I don't okay. uh, I only have one that I want to mention. Um I watched now, you know, I'm not um an X-Files guy. Okay. Um, and I had heard when this new X-Files came back, um, during Sundance, I was reading tweets, uh, about, uh, how it was a disappointment to a lot of people. But then every critic who had seen the run before it aired of these new episodes, everyone said across the board, the third one, the one that Darren Morgan wrote and directed, Mm -hmm. that's the one. And so I watched it, uh, and it's incredible and fantastic and hilarious. Um, and I don't want to, I don't want to really spoil it. It's, it's called, um, I think it's, I think the name of the episode is Mulder and Scully meet the Wear monster. I think it's okay. called that. Um, and I, but I, again, I don't want to spoil it because it is, it's such an inventive, uh, premise. Um, and a and a comedic one as well, uh, that I don't, I don't want to go into the specifics, but it has, um, Reese Darby, mm-hmm. Camille Nanjiani, uh, and briefly Tyler Labine, all, all oh, in nice. the episodes. So it has a lot of, uh, uh, comic relief, um, in, in that sense. But it's also, uh, a, I mean, it, it's, it's a, it's a, uh, I feel like this is a overused term, but it's a meta episode in that yeah. it's, 
um, a standalone Monster of the Week episode that's about Mulder and Scully rediscovering the fun of mm. their standalone Monster of the Week uh, oh, adventures. Uh, it it's I, I when I understand the rest of this short uh, season ten has not lived up to people's uh, hopes, but this one was a blast. Yeah. All right. All you got to do is get Wayne Fetterman in there, and now we're talking. Yeah. Um, not did, as himself. Not as himself. As a character named Wayne Fetterman. <laughs> I love that. It's amazing. Oh. So, uh, is, was that the only TV show you had? Yeah, only one worth talking about. Okay. Um, I have talk been about chopped mystery diners. That's, mm, that's mostly what I watch. Yeah, let's let's not do that. Um, so, I have been just tearing ass through Archer. Um, I've watched season three, four, cause I'd seen the first two I'd seen. So uh, in the last few days I watched three, four and the vast majority of five. I think I might be one episode away from Wait, it. Five is vice. Vice. Right? Yeah. Um, and Archer is an amazing show. Often here's the issue watching it the way I have. Uh-huh. It is a remarkably stressful show when you watch five or six episodes in a row uh-huh. uh, while you're working. Um, because on top of everything else, there's so much yelling. Everybody's yelling all the time. Yeah. And, I just, and it just, it, it, it's exhausting. Uh, and it, it actually winds up swallowing kind of the, it's the, the issue is mine. It is not the show's. Um, like the laughs get swallowed up because I'm like, ah, oh, these people are so toxic to each <laughs> other. And it's like, yes, that's the idea. That's the joke. You're not supposed to watch 60 of these in a row. You idiot. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I'm very happy that I've, that I've been watching it. I've, I've really been enjoying it. And, uh, now let me ask you this because, um, I seem to recall people not liking season five and I'm, I'm one of them. Okay. I mean, right. I think it, I can see why it's to sort a of, point. It, it's sort of in some ways gets better as it goes, goes along and in mm-hmm. other ways gets worse because I think it gets better when it, as it goes along because it become the, the season becomes more serialized toward the, toward yes. the end, which is something that Archer does in general. Um, but it stops being, you know, standalone adventures or missions and becomes, yeah. um, uh, an ongoing story at the end. And I, and I do like that better, but joke wise, I feel like Archer from the beginning has always walked the line of possibly having too many running gags because it has so many. Yes. And it's usually very good at, at which also is not great for six episodes <laughs> yeah. in a row. Um, it's uh it, it usually i think holds that balance pretty well yeah and i think in the vice season there are certain things like um Charlene and outlaw country and stuff that yeah. just go on it's, or it's way too much yeah. uh, and it gets run run to the ground although i will never ever get tired of pam eating cocaine, eating cocaine. <laughs> yeah <And> just, <laughs> yeah i mean i think there are different for different people there are different jokes that will work yeah. every time. I will laugh every time Lana goes, nope. <laughs> that always <laughs> makes me laugh. I also laughed every time, was it Brett got shot? Yeah. Up until, even including <laughs> the last time. Oh, yeah. And then if Archer's, this were a movie, we could add that to yeah, the, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, and then Archer's eulogy, he, he died doing what he loved, <laughs> getting shot. <laughs> Yeah, it's there's there's a lot going on. And then in 
there's an episode with a character who's an arms dealer, simply known as Slater. Oh yeah. And he's voiced by Christian Slater. Yeah. He looks like Christian Slater at no point. So does anybody season five, right? No, I think okay. I'm one episode away. Oh, okay. Well, does he, he come yeah. back? Yeah. He's a, Oh, good. Yeah. Good. Um, he's in season six as well, actually. Oh, fun. A bit. Yeah. Do they, is it, is the character Christian Slater? No, do, it's the, just, it's, yeah. it's the Wayne Fetterman situation uh, yeah, where yeah. he's playing a character named Christian Slater, uh, named well, Slater, but, Christian. Yeah. His name yeah, is just Slater. Slater. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and he, well, one of the, um, one of the best jokes, I'm going to spoil a joke from season six is uh, one of my favorite jokes early on where he says something about, uh, we have to go to Buenos Aires and mm. Archer's like, come on Slater. It's just us. You can say Buenos Aires. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also one thing that I've always liked about Archer and it's, it's the, it's like the nine year old boy in me is I love its violence. Uh-huh. I love how bloody its violence is. And there wasn't a whole lot of it in season five until the crocodile attack <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> where they're on a raft. And then the crocodiles are basically dragons. Like the, uh-huh. no crocodile has ever been that big. And uh, they just, and they're just on this raft with these two guys that are like, these corrupt cops that are just unconscious. And it's like, why are they bringing them along? Oh, I see. (laughs) Um, and it's just hilarious because it's so random, but yeah, it's, I've, I've enjoyed it quite a bit. Oh, I Um, think random is when we can add to that list actually. Uh, that, and that's frustrating because in that, in (sighs) people throw the word out as a, as a one word sentence, random, you know? And it's just like, Oh, the word still has meaning. Yeah, in in a context anymore. and it's yeah so now i have to not use the word anymore because other people ruined it for me yeah it's like we, like i think like i'm not sure we're quite to the point where we can go back to using the word awkward normally again because mm. awkward got so overused in the mid 2000s yeah you know? like characters going awkward Ugh. like that sort of thing like I, I feel like there still has some of that taint on it and so we kind of can't go back soon we'll be able to start just using the word awkward like it was meant to yeah. but i think it needed a breather and random probably needs a breather too when you said that you don't like people saying like oh that's a thing now that's I'm, I'm old enough, uh, as, as you are that someone's saying like, that's a thing. It, the, the cadence was different. It's like, uh, that started this whole thing, uh-huh. you know, it, it meant something. It was, it was used differently though. Yeah. Similarly now it's, is that a thing? Which is, I haven't, exist. I haven't heard of that. Yeah. I guess it exists. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, okay. So we can, we can move on and then actually finish yeah. this thing. All right.